All right, that's good stuff, man. Uh, I want to talk about it just a second because it's been a, a, a regular message from the Lord for us and for many of the people in our body uh, recently. This idea of, though you slay me, still I will worship. That comes from Job, uh, the story of Job. Most of you know about Job. You don't even have to be in the church to know about Job because everybody talks about the patience of Job and Job's predicament. But Job was blessed by God, had everything. I mean, he was of all men the most blessed. Uh, you know, when, when Satan took a look at all of God's creatures, he said, uh, you know, he, he noticed, God said, notice Job, uh, my servant Job. And he said, yeah, he's just, he's just committed to you because he's got, got everything because you blessed him. And he said, well, I'm going to give you permission to do whatever you want to, except you can't take, you can't take his, you can't kill him and you can't take his spirit. I'm going to give you permission to do whatever you want. And just that, just that idea. I mean, God had a relationship with, with Job, and Job had a relationship with God that was close enough that God knew. Here's one. That's not, it doesn't matter what happens. Of course, you know the story. Most of you do. He lost all of his possessions. His, all of his family members died. He was physically sick, had boils and leprosy, I think, all kind of physical ailments. And all of his friends turned against him, and it was in response to his friends saying, uh, man, just curse God and die. Uh, this is God punishing you. And he knew God well enough to know now this, God's up to something. And he grew through the experience. I mean, he came to know God even deeper through that. Uh, had a long dialogue with, where God basically told him that I'm God, you're not. And so let's get that straight. But great. And then God blessed him uh, multiple times, I think tenfold what he had prior to uh, the, t- the testing from Satan. But in the context of that, he says, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. There's something in that that I know for, for all of us, to some degree, that sounds nuts. Okay? okay, the problem with Job is he's nuts. He needs some psychiatric help. All right, the boy needs to be on some kind of drugs and go to the, the treatment facility for a long time. Because that's nuts. I mean, that kind of stuff is crazy, that people would follow God into places, that a man would stay with God and follow God even though he is, God is not coming in on his behalf and rescuing him from the situation. But that only comes from one place. It comes from knowing God. And, uh, you know, the, the degree to which you are willing to say, God, no matter what my circumstances are and, and prove it in your life, no matter what my circumstances are, I'm going to remain faithful to you. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you. I'm going to keep my, my, my mind stayed on you. The degree to which you can do that is the degree to which you really know God. Uh, man, I'm growing in that. I know all of you are too. We're at different places, I'm sure, all of us. But I can honestly say that I can see it. I can see that that's, that, that can happen. Now, I'm not saying that if I had to give my life for God or if I... If God, if I were Job and God said, okay, consider Glenn, uh, probably Satan would have said, well, I got this one. And he'd probably been right because <laughs> I'm not there. But, I'm, but it only comes from really knowing and trusting God. You've got to know that God is faithful. You've got to know that his character is true. Uh, to be able to, to suffer in this world and go through that stuff and still remain faithful to him. That is the goal, though, of the gathering place. It's the goal. We want you to know God yourself. We don't want you to try and do what you do in life based on my faith or based on the faith of somebody else in the church or based on your, your mama's faith or your daddy's faith or whatever. 
We want you to live your life based on your own faith that comes from knowing God by experience. When you have experiences with God, people can't take those experiences away from you, and people can't take that knowledge away. When you know that you know that you know that God did something, and, and that God is consistent, that he doesn't do something that's ever inconsistent with who he is, which means if God, if God is ever provider, if he ever provides for you, then that's who he is. He doesn't act like provider one day and then another day not be provider. But we've learned that. It's a life that I really have in our lives. We, we have learned that lesson. That's one lesson. You know, out of many that God has tested us with, we are, we are solid on that one. And, and ready to, you know, if we lived on the street, we would know that this was by God's design somehow and that God is going to take care of us on the street. We know that. We have been to the place where there wasn't anything in the cabinet for this whole week and God provided or, you know, we've been there and God has proven himself. So you can't take that away from me. People might say, you're crazy, man. Go, go get a job. Go do something. Uh, you know, go, go do something. Take control. That's that's logical. It's reasonable, and uh, it sounds crazy to just trust God. But I, I've got that. I mean, we we have that. So it, I know that it's true. It can be true in all areas of life. So I, man, that's that's my prayer. And just just you know the the combination of those two songs and coming back to it, Kobe. That was just that was moving for me to just think. He's a good good father. It's who he is. God does not know how to do anything that's not good. He doesn't do anything that's not good. Everything that God does is good. And guess what? No matter who you are, no matter where you are with God, how many times you've been in a church or how many times you've uh, read the Bible or how many times you've done anything spiritual or religious, you are loved by God. He can't deny himself. The Bible says God is love. So he loves you. Uh, so, you know, our warped uh, theology in this community says that you've got to earn something from God. You've got to be something in order for God to accept you. But the, the, the word of God says you do nothing. You're, you're, your righteousness is filthy rags. Give up on being righteous enough to, to earn anything from God. So he did it for you. Christ is your righteousness. And God loves you because of him and what he did for you. So that's good news today, man. I just wanted to hit on that because if you can just stay focused on those things, number one, man, if you can just stay focused on the fact that God loves you and you can't lose that and that God is good, just keep your eyes focused on that, then you can face, really, you can face anything. If you can just believe that and God can put it in your heart to believe it and walk in it. All right, but that's not what we're talking about today. We are going to spend some time today talking about uh, well, continuing our discussion on what what are the characteristics that should be evident uh, are, are that that every person that would consider themselves to be a Christian should be should be pursuing. What are some of the characteristics? We've been hitting on some of those out of First Timothy chapter three. I think this is going to be our fifth sermon in chapter three. Just looking at and taking our time and going through and looking at these different characteristics of a of a. A person who is pursuing God. Paul says that he wrote this to the church, uh, wrote this to Timothy uh, to, to tell the church at Ephesus how they need to behave within the household of faith. In other words, as, within, the, within believers and among believers, this is how you should act. Within the community and among the people in the community, this is how you should behave. And so we've been tearing, tearing those things down, taking the words apart, 
trying to make application and meaning for us personally. So let's look at the verse, and then we'll, we'll move on. We'll just look at verse 1 Timothy 3, uh, 2 and 3. It says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. All right, today we left off last week. I, I started going into uh, drunkard, but I thought we really didn't have enough time. And I honestly, um, I, felt like, I felt like God kind of put a, put a pause on that for a good reason. We need to talk about this as a church. We need to have some, some open discussion. Uh, I say open. It's going to be open-ended on my end, and you're going to be the listening side. Uh, but definitely if you have any questions to ask after or even during the message, it's fine. Um, uh, what does he mean when he says an elder or a person who is a believer who's pursuing God and, and, and really going after God, what does it mean to not be a drunkard? Now, obviously, uh, drinking is a major concern for, for Christians uh, around the world. It's a major concern for Christians in this, in this community. It's a major concern of mine. Uh, the rampant abuse of alcohol in our country uh, is crazy, and the resulting uh, abusiveness, the uh, resulting uh, uh, car accidents and deaths, hundreds of thousands of deaths that happen as a result of the abuse of alcohol. Uh, it's a definitely an issue. It's an issue that every believer needs to be aware of, and I think need to, you need to have a stance on. Uh, uh, alcohol or being drunk and abusing alcohol uh, is a major deal. And uh, I'm certainly not going to say that it's not. I'm going to say that it is. And I'm going to say that we as believers and as, as the gathering police need to understand uh, that the dangers of alcohol abuse. And, I, and, again, I think all of us can look around and see it. But there's also a caution I think that's needed in a different direction. There's too many times that I think Christians... And, and you know this, too, and you see it, and you've all lived this. There's, a time, there's, there's too many times that Christians take a moral stance based on some cultural event or series of events, that, uh, that we take a stance against something, and, uh, and we, we set ourselves in stone that this is what we're against. And it may or may not, we may or may not have any history tied to it. Uh, honestly, there, there are things when I grew up that, uh, we're always questioned things like uh, even uh, going to a movie. You know, going to a movie is wrong. And I had a list of why it was wrong. And uh, our dancing, as a good Baptist, we don't dance. We didn't dance in our day because uh, dancing is wrong. You know, we didn't drink because drinking is wrong. Uh, we, we had this list of things that we didn't do Halloween because, well, we did, but a lot of people didn't do Halloween. That was kind of a later phase, uh, but a stage where Halloween was, you know, we don't do Halloween because Halloween is wrong. And we have all these stances that we take, and, and they're really responses of Christians uh, to, to cultural things. Um, you know, there were, there were uh, people that didn't, didn't allow their Christian kids to go to the skating rink when I was a kid because... Certain people go to the skating rink, and there was a there was an image that was tied to that. So we do that a lot as Christians, and we and, and we are known in our culture as being people who are very judgmental because we have these rules and we don't even know where they come from. 
like dancing and drinking, for instance. You know, that really came from the, not, not you know, that became an issue for a lot of conservative Christians back uh, in, in response to the Prohibition days. Uh, the dancing side on with all the nightclubs and the things that were going on in nightclubs. And so rather than addressing those things with Scripture, we make rules and say that those places are bad places. These people are bad people. Uh, those activities are bad activities. So you get the picture. And we've done a lot of that through the years. Christians have. And I think it's an equally uh, difficult problem, and for us as a church, one that we need to address. Because we live in a culture that has a lot of Christians, fundamentalist and conservative Christians, who have harsh beliefs regarding things. So our attitude toward alcohol may be well conditioned by our culture uh, more than we realize. So one of the questions that we need to deal with, I think, is, is that issue. Is, is are we, do we believe and practice? Do you believe and practice what you practice based on what the culture has taught you. Uh, and, and that's not always wrong. Sometimes the culture really is living according to what the word of God says. But it's not our standard. The culture is not the standard uh, that, that we live by. We're not letting Central Louisiana, Rapids Parish, and all the churches in this area define who we are as believers. That's really what got uh, the Jews in trouble. Uh, at one point, they did walk with God in the wilderness tabernacle, and, and they got to see God and experience God. But, but somehow through the years, they lost the, God, God was lost in the process of their religion. And then they made all these rules. They would have rules like you can only go so far on a Sabbath day. You can only walk a certain You had a Sabbath mile. And once you got to your Sabbath mile, if it, you had to sleep there, stop there, and sit there until the Sabbath was over craziness you know but rules all kinds of rules and regulations that were not given to them by God there's their interpretation of of some cultural problems and their way of expressing their authority and feeling good about themselves so we have a lot of that we want to make sure that we're not doing that that we're not those people Uh, so what we do want to do is we want to look in the scripture and see what the scripture says now I the reason why I'm glad I had a little extra time with this this, la- this last week is because I, I really wanted to, to, to dive into this. And I asked the Lord to do this for me, and I would ask you to do the same today. It is not my intent to, uh, to, to do either of these two things. Number one, it's not my intent to offend anybody uh, regarding the use of alcohol. It's not my intent. So... I'm hopefully going to successfully not do that. The second thing is I don't want to, uh, to give anybody permission to go do something that you feel like the Lord has already convicted you not to do. And hopefully you'll see those things, but I want to say them up front. Uh, you know, we're, ultimately, we're going to get right back down to, to being a drunkard, okay, because that's what the Scripture is talking about, talking about in this passage. But I believe the Lord wants us to deal with this issue of alcohol just a little bit before we do that. So one of the things we need to, uh, another thing we need to wrestle with, besides just looking at the subculture uh, of Christian prohibition that kind of exists where we are and has existed in this area for a long time, is to, to take some of the scriptures apart and just look at what, what the Bible talks about when it talks about the use of alcohol. 
Um, the, the word wine is one uh, that we use a lot, or we talk about a lot. That, just that word and the meaning of it. Uh, there's a lot of, there's this teaching that's going around that says that, that the wine that Jesus made and that people drank and in that in the Christians drank was not fermented wine, that it was wine that was just grape juice. It was, you know, new grape juice. And so, uh, uh, so is that a, a, a true interpretation of what wine is in the, in the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament? Or is that a, a cultural, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a word, I, I use eisegesis, is that reading into Scripture what it says so that we can continue to be uh, prohibitionists? So that's a good question to ask. Would you all agree with that? Say, oh, yeah. All right. So let's look at it. Yeah, the, the word wine uh, in the scripture, when, when that term is used, it, you would be hard-pressed to try and find any support for wine being just grape juice. Not the kind of wine that the disciples drank, not the kind of wine that Jesus made. Uh, matter of fact, in the passage where Jesus made 120 to 150 gallons of wine, the first miracle that Jesus ever performed, uh, in John chapter 2, uh, this was the statement that they made about the wine. They said, every man sets the good wine first, then after the guests have drunk freely the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. The, the verb translated, drunk freely, literally, uh, it's almost, almost always used in connection with getting drunk. Not, not even just, uh, you know, uh, fermented, but it's almost always used with the idea or concept of getting drunk. And so what, basically what he was saying in this passage was that the most fermented wine was, was given at the end. Usually what they would do is give the, uh, give the, early, the, the good wine first, get people drunk, and then they wouldn't care what they were drinking after that. Some of you have probably been there. You don't, you know, it didn't matter what you were drinking after that. Uh, but, the, but he saved the good wine, the, the wine that after everybody had already drunk freely, he saves this good wine for the end. Uh, that wine, that idea. Uh, the same thing in, in chapter 2 of, of Acts. Another passage a lot of us are familiar with when the Holy Spirit came and they were speaking in, in tongues, uh, unknown tongues. They, the people thought that they were drunk early in the morning that they were, had already had uh, wine that was fermented in the morning uh, it, because it was a practice of the disciples. As a matter of fact, in the Passover, they were, they were allowed to have uh, up to six glasses of wine as a part of the Passover feast. Uh, so uh, just, just the wine that Jesus made and the idea or concept of, of wine in, in John and, and in Acts, uh, people understood that wine uh, was an intoxicating drink. Uh, also, just the negative statements throughout Scripture, and I've got tons of these uh, that, I've, that I've looked at and written down, but it's overwhelming, and you, you know these, but the number of Scriptures that talk about drinking too much wine, about getting drunk with wine, same word used, uh, but, but, but drinking too much. Our passage that we're studying today uh, that refers to those who are pursuing God with all their heart and elders who would be leaders within the context of a church. It talks about not being drunk with wine. And so this idea of being drunk, if wine is grape juice, 
and it's not fermented, then why would it be a problem to drink too much of it? And I can't, you know, I have listed here uh, probably 20 uh, passages that I just copied uh, that talk about that concept. Uh, So I, I would submit to you that according to what Scripture says, just in those passages, in those two ideas, that alcohol use in the in the bible is not uh there it's not prohibited according to scripture now let me read a couple of the verses in deuteronomy there's a passage where um, god is talking to through moses to the people and he's saying the time is coming when i'm going to bless you and he's giving a talk about tithes and there was actually about five percent uh of their tithe that was given to uh, to the Levites to take care of the priests, but there's also another five that was given at, of their grain and their uh, their livestock that was used to have feasts to celebrate together the things that God did for them and to just celebrate their relationship to God and that they were God's children. And in Deuteronomy 14, he's talking about that, and he talks about that if you can't bring your... Uh, they would celebrate in the appointed place, which would be the tabernacle, the tabernacle to worship in and to have to feast in. And he said, if you can't make it there with your with your livestock and your grain, then you can sell your livestock and grain and bring the cash, and then buy things uh, for yourself. But the intention was to have this enormous feast where you had lots of food and and wine and intoxicating drink and enjoyed each other, not to the point of drunkenness. Not being a drunkard, but enjoying that together. The gifts that God gave them through the fruit of the vine. In Deuteronomy 14, I'll just read one passage. You can go back and read all of this if you like. Verses 25 and 26, it says, Then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. So here's God saying, drink wine and strong drink, fermented drink. God is not only, he he is saying whatever your, your heart desires. I want you to enjoy the things that I've given you. Uh, so there's another passage where God is saying to his people, that not alcohol is wrong, but alcohol is my gift to you. Look at Psalm 104, uh, 14 and 15. Another passage talks about wine and, and the purpose of it. He says, you cause the grass. The psalmist is saying this to God. He says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. All to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. So the idea of, of gladdening our heart, of, of God using wine to give us uh, a glad heart, it's a tool that God uses. Isaiah 25, 6, I think, makes it as clear as any passage that God's not talking about. When he says wine, we're not talking about just grape juice. It says, on this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, of marrow, 
of aged wine well refined. The Lord will make a feast of well-aged wine. Now, the argument of a lot of, a lot of people who, who are, are Christians and who have, who have convictions is that the grape juice is, is fresh off the vine, freshly squeezed. That's, what, that's when the Bible talks about wine. That's what it talks about. Okay. This passage makes it crystal clear that God is providing for his people well-aged wine for a great feast. It's fermented. I want to talk about that because I want you to understand. I want you to understand as a church, two things. Number one, well, one thing, wine is fermented, okay? The drink is fermented, all right? But in response to that, number one, you're going to get drunk if you drink too much wine. Does everybody get that? It's very clear. If you drink too much wine or strong drink, which can be any other drinks, you drink wine or strong drink, you're going to get drunk. They are fermented, okay? So uh, just know that. Second thing, there is a command from God, numerous commands from God, lots of scripture that talks about not getting drunk with wine. It is wrong to get drunk with wine. Uh, now, how do we define that? I'm not going to try and define what drunk is to you. Uh, there is a legal drunk that is wrong for all of us because the law says we don't drink and do certain things. There is a legal drunk. Uh, if, you, if you're driving and you, you drank too much and you breathe in a breath later and it says you're drunk, you're drunk. It's illegal, and it's against God's law because you broke a man's law. And we're to obey those. Uh, so we can talk about that. But in the, in the comfort of your own home, in a time of celebration, in a time when a, body, when a group of believers are together and, and having uh, a drink together that's fermented, uh, what's too much? You and God are going to have to define that. <laughs> All right? Uh, God knows that, that again, there, there are very few places in Scripture where it, it identifies a certain amount. And the Scripture really didn't identify the number of glasses that the Jewish people had during Passover, but there was a limit, uh, you know, and then also was the wine then like it is now, was it as fermented as it is now? Is there, you know, more, uh, intoxicating drinks today? Yes. And so uh, I wanted to talk about all that with, for, for a specific reason. I don't want us to pretend like the Bible doesn't have, uh, that God didn't create the fruit of the vine. He did. I don't want us to pretend like uh, if we have an issue with drinking that the Bible says that it's wrong. You know, I, I defended this conservative prohibition stance for a lot of years without diving into the word myself. I just accepted what somebody else told me, and I just believed that. And as a result of it, it caused me to take a stance like when someone would say, well, Jesus drank, I'd say, well, that wasn't fermented. You know, I had to have my, my reason. No, Jesus did drink, and Jesus did make wine, a lot of it. And it was his first miracle. And the Bible is all about, the Old Testament particularly, is all about us celebrating and feasting together with God. And it gives a picture of God for us to, to make these rules and regulations that the Bible does not make. It, it, it gives a false picture of who God is. 
And, and I've lived long enough with that false picture. You? I, mean, I don't want to live with a false picture of who God is. He's a good, good father. And what he gives to us is good. And everything that he gave to us is good. Uh, so, let's go back to drunkard. Not a drunkard. What does that mean? If, if uh, it was okay for, uh, not okay, but uh, approved by God for people to, if they wanted to, drink wine that was fermented, then what is the stance of an elder? What's the stance of a person who's pursuing God? Because that's what we're about. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful that I don't have to preach a message that says, here's the rule, don't do it, and here's what's happening in society, and because people are dying every day in car accidents, don't ever drink uh, wine or strong drink. I'm glad I don't have to say that. Here's what I do have to say. Do you want to pursue God with all your heart? Do you want to be a church of people who are going after God with everything that we have? Do you want to be a person who, who is stretching out, who aspires to, to know God and in, in know him in, his, in, the, in, his, in who he really is, in truth, to know God and be changed by that knowledge? Do you know enough about God that you want to know more about God? You want to be that person? Have you, have, you, have you decided, I'm going to cross this line, and I'm going to go with God? He is trustworthy. He's a good father. He's going to take care of me. I'm going with him, whatever he says. If that's what you're after, that affects every aspect of your life. And so he's saying here that a, a person who's doing that, particularly elders, within, who, people who aspire to be elders within the church, men of this body who aspire to be an elder, that you are not to be a drunkard. And that term means not to be habitually drunk. It literally means, you take the word and break it into two parts, it means one who sits long before wine. A person, you don't need to be a person who sits long before wine. The Greek also includes beside this uh, uh, not indulging in brawling and and in uh, violent conduct towards others, which proceeds from having too much, sitting too long before wine. And so even in our text today, he says, right after he says, not a drunkard, it says, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Those things are tied together. Matter of fact, Alfred, in his commentary, says that one in his cups, a man rendered petulant by much wine, is the definition of that word. The word this word and other forms of the word uh, were often used without reference to wine. The expositor's uh, commentary said that the word means violent temper and not specifically excited over overindulgence in drink. So it's really tied to violence. It's tied to the activity that goes on whenever you sit too long before wine, whenever you drink too much is that you, your personality changes, you're no longer in control. We talked earlier about the idea of being sober-minded, and we use this as an example of the opposite of that. A person who's drunk is not aware of what's going on. They're not vigilant. They're not watchful. They, they've relaxed beyond what is acceptable relaxation, and now they, they are not, don't have their faculties. Uh, and a person that's pursuing God with all that they are is not going to be that guy. It's not going to be that guy that's, uh, that's sitting before wine and, and, and indulgent in, in uh, intoxicated drink in order to lose his mind. 
He wants to be vigilant and watchful, all the other things that we talked about. So Paul's meaning is that a bishop in the partaking of wine, which in the first century, by the way, was also a common drink. It was, uh, most of you have heard that as well, that because the water was bad, they drank wine as a substitute. Well, it's true. There was, uh, wine was drunk more freely because of that, because they didn't have a lot of other options. Uh, but, uh, Paul's meaning is that the bishop or the elder, the person who's pursuing God and who has a desire to go after God with all of his heart, must not drink it so freely that he becomes intoxicated. And as a result, his personality is changed. His vigilance is gone. So what does it mean for us today? I think the present-day Christian has some other things to consider other than is does the Bible say that wine is intoxicating is is wine a gift from god or not i think we've settled that and certainly if we haven't you we can spend some time together and settle it the bible is clear about that if you just look just look at scripture don't look at what everybody else says about take the scripture and tear it apart all right that stuff is clear so what is it that we need to deal with i think we've got bigger issues when we start talking about our character and, and being representations of god and pursuing god in 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with this. And I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians and talk about it for a minute. In verses 23 to 33, Paul says this in a generic way. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever he set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I, take, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews, to Greeks, or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul makes this statement a number of different times. In a, in a general sense, here's what he's saying. I become all things to all people that I may win some. There's no question about what Paul's motive is. Everybody get that? Paul says, I'm doing whatever I do. I want to please these people for this reason. Uh, when, when, it, when I don't have to offend, by, when I don't have to go against them because the word of God says go against them, I want to go with them so that, I can, so that people can be saved, so that I can have the right to be heard, earn the right to be heard, so that I can speak into someone's life the truth about God and about salvation. And so Paul says, whatever the case may be, he was talking about meat sacrificed to idols, which offended some. The ones that were offended were the Jewish people. Uh, but he says all people. You need to consider all people, not just the unbelievers, which 
a lot of us are really good about focusing on. You know, we don't have a hard time holding on to our rules, and it's good for the people in this com- in community who don't have any kind of religious background to see that we are free and not bound by those rules. But also, we need to take into consideration those who are bound by those rules, those who are offended, according to this passage. We have responsibility to think about them as well. He says, give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. So here's what I believe Paul is saying. I believe Paul is saying, man, all things are lawful. If God created and it's not, there's not a prohibition given by God clearly in his word regarding what you're supposed to do with it, all things are lawful. Enjoy what God's given you. Enjoy the fruit of the, of the earth. Enjoy what God's given you. But he says, but all things, but when you do that, consider others above yourself. Now, what does that mean for a believer? It means that a believer should be, should never drink a, a, a drop of something in the face of someone who's offended by it. That means that a man of God or a woman of God who is pursuing God with everything that he has is more concerned about someone else's need than they are about their own needs. And so that means a believer is going to be careful about any time that he uh, or she uses her freedom to enjoy the things of the earth. They're going to be careful about that to make sure that nobody that is around them is going to be offended by it. Clearly, the word is saying that. That you have the right and the liberty to do it. But if your conscience, which is God's Holy Spirit speaking to you about others around you, is uh, if you're convicted, then you need to not partake. And so one of the things we know uh, about any elder is we want an elder to be able to have control, not to sit before wine and be a drunkard and not to ever sit before wine in front of somebody who's offended by it. And so that means you've got to be very careful. You need to walk that line. And I believe that's for every believer in our church, and I hope that you would consider that, that you would consider carefully. Uh, if, you're, if you use alcohol in any way, that you would consider carefully where you are when you do it and who's present when you do it. Who, when you walk out, who's going to be there? Uh, you know, just be careful. Pay attention to those things. Uh, making sure that people will not be offended. And again, God will give you guidance about how to do that. Another thing I think for elders, in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about drinking in this way. He says in verse 18 to 21, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's talking to the church at Ephesus, the same church that he's telling Timothy to tell him not to be drunk with wine. He's saying, here's a better option. Wine is, you know, wine and drink is addicting. And, and here's what I don't want. I don't want you guys substituting the joy of the Lord and the excitement that you can have together about who God is uh, by by sitting together and getting excited about the drink you're having. And it's so easy to do. I've seen believers who drink, who, who get so fired up about their drink, and they can't talk about God while they're drinking. 
Yeah, I think that's wrong. I think it's clearly wrong in this passage. And God wants us to pursue him. And again, for an elder man, who he needs to be one that's going after God. And drink would never hinder in any way his ability or his desire to, to speak about his Lord. To speak openly, to, to worship God with others. That's a strange concept for some of us. But I think culturally, you know, the culture has made it strange for us. And then Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Paul talks about one that's weak in the faith. He says, as for one that's weak in the faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while a weak person eats only vegetables. And by the way, the weak here is, is, is again, the most the, the legalistic ones. It was the Jewish people who were following the rules and trying to put those on other people. Uh, let no one... Who eats despise the one who abstains, and let no one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on another on the servant of another? It is before our own master, his own master, that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we die. Uh, Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I love this. I think it, it defines for us. Again, another aspect of what we do and why we do it. Whatever it is that you do, you do unto the Lord. If you cannot, if you can partake of wine, which again is not prohibited in Scripture, and you can do it in a way that you, that you honor the Lord and your conscience is clear, then you're doing it unto the Lord. There should be praise. There should be thanksgiving as a part of that. If you can't, then, uh, then you, are, you are not honoring the Lord and you're partaking of it. And so it's, it's fine for you to be however you want to be in relation to drink. It's fine for you to be that person. And if you're pursuing God and it helps you to pursue God by, uh, in, your, in your spirit and between you and God, it helps you to not partake of intoxicating drink, by all means, that is what you should be doing. But he says, don't cast judgment on others who find their Lord and reason to praise him and to worship him within the context of, of intoxicating drink. Does everybody get that? So judgment is huge. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with this message, if it's going to be on the website or not. Just because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what people are going to, if this is going to cause people to just feel judgment. Um, you know, I don't know how, how, how it could or why it would. I do know how it could, and I do know why it would. But, you know, this is, this is God's word for our body. I just want you guys to know. And I believe there's two responses to this. The one response that I hope does not happen, well, there's three. The, one, the first response, I always end up giving you more and more. One just popped in my head. But the first response that, that I hope uh, nobody gets out of this is that, wow, finally, I can go and drink all I want. 
It's not what I'm saying. It's not what an elder is. It's not what a person who's pursuing God is. A person who's pursuing God with everything they are and stretching towards God with all their energy is a person that takes all of that into consideration, careful consideration, and asks the Lord and, and, and does what he does unto the Lord. God, is this, is this something that's okay for me if you desire to do it? Is this something that's okay for me? And let the Lord speak to you. It may not be okay for you. An alcoholic always takes his first drink. And, some, and, and there are certainly people who have been alcoholics uh, that are a member of our church, a part of our church, that uh, you need to be asking God before you partake of any kind of drink. Uh, so don't take this as a license to go drink. It's not what it is. If you, if you think that's what it is, you misheard. The second thing is don't judge. Okay, I think we need to respond by not being in judgment of people. Um, don't judge if this is not your stance. Don't judge if it is your stance. We're not saying everybody in the church needs to drink. We're not saying everybody in the church doesn't need to drink. But we are saying it's wrong to judge somebody for that, for participating in something that God gave them as a gift. Okay? So don't judge. Be who you are. Be comfortable in that. Sit in it. Enjoy it. And, and worship God where you are. You don't have to judge someone else to make yourself feel better. But the most significant thing is the third thing, and the reason why we're doing this study, is that if you're going to pursue God with all your heart, then you need to realize that, that sitting alone before wine and spending time, uh, too much time with alcohol and, and using alcohol in a way that's not honoring God is the opposite of that. You need to be vigilant. You need to keep your mind sharp. You need to be uh, always watching because the enemy, your, uh, Satan, your enemy, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he would devour you and he will devour uh, the, the church if we don't keep watch. So all of us need to do that. And elders, if you, perceive, if you decide to be an elder and, and you feel like God is stretching you toward that, you aspire to that position, just know um, an elder is not a person who's a drunkard, not a person who gets drunk and sits before wine long. Okay, that's the, that's the word today. Now, I took the time to do all of that because I know it's a, it's a major issue and there's so much being said. And let me just ask you guys to do this. Recognize, uh, work through your, 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 your pain if you have issues with alcohol because we, we represent God in this community. And we have misrepresented God by, by being prohibitionists in a lot of areas, and this is one of them. Uh, you know, Talitha told me about the first time she ever saw a beer in person. <laughs> you know, I mean, her, her, she grew up in a family that didn't drink, and the first time she ever went to someone's house and her dad had a beer, she was like, <laughs> you know, couldn't talk. And some of you might feel that way. Uh, but work through some of that so that you're, it doesn't, it, you know, hopefully this message will help you to deal with that in a way that doesn't offend the people that we're trying to reach. Okay? Be like Paul. Uh, do what you got to do to become all things to all people in order that we might win some because that's the important thing. It's not whether someone drinks a beer or not. It's whether they go to heaven or not. It's whether they have a relationship with God and uh, the Spirit is in their life and they can deal with, with life the way they need to. That's what we're about. That's what we need to be about. So as we pray this morning, I want you to deal with your own
uh, life. I know today doesn't really necessarily get you in the heart necessarily. But I do want to say this. We need people who will emulate the life of Christ. We need to be, we need to be people who will live our lives in such a way that people see Jesus, not us. And so I'm just going to pray that God will take his word today and take what he needs, what you need, and, and make it real in your heart. Fathers, we pray today. Um, God, I know that, that the word that you've given me today is a word from your word. Uh, Lord, I've, I'm confident that I've been true to what you've revealed clearly in Scripture. But God, I, I know that the enemy is, is uh, watchful. He's, uh, he would take this to try to destroy it. Uh, Lord, try to twist it in the minds of the people that have heard it today. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would bring clear understanding to every person here of what it means to, to pursue you, God. And that would be the, the purpose in our hearts. God, we're not about pursuing intoxicating drink. Uh, we, in our hearts, God, want to pursue you. Because you're so incredible. And so help us to do that. Help us today, whatever it is that we might be uh, using to substitute uh, a deep relationship with you, God. Take that out of our lives and help us today to commit to remaining vigilant and sober-minded. And Lord, to uh, take judgment out of our hearts. And, and put the, the heart of Jesus and the heart of Paul in us, God, that would say all things to all people, all things to all people, that we might win some. Father, we want people to see you. And so help us today to be different when we walk out, more committed to that, more available for you to change us into that.